Welcome to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. We have a day removed from Game 6, the end of the season, lost to the Miami Heat. I'm Adam Otenko, here with twin brother Josh. Josh, how's your day been? Hey, it's good. It's good. Are you, are you still depressed? Uh, yeah, I, I felt like some irritability today that was abnormal, and I think it's because of the Celtics. And excited to have Mike Minkoff with us get his take on things. Mike, how is your depression level today on a scale of 1 to 10? Um, honestly, it's not, it's not that high. I don't, a two, a three. I mean, were we really that surprised by the time game six rolled around with how the, the series ended? I mean, I, I wasn't, I, I expected that. Well, let's Mike, let's see if, if you and I can avoid spending the whole time just providing therapy for Josh. And, uh, cause I think he needs to learn to self-soothe, you know, it's an important life skill, important life skill. It's an important life skill, yeah. Today we're going to be talking about this game and the series. Want to get Mike's take on that. We're going to hit a a little review of the season, what were our expectations for the Celtics this past season, and we'll talk about some news and notes going forward here. Uh, And and there will be plenty of time to talk about the future of the Celtics, uh, but we'll hit a little bit on that today. So, Mike, we just want to first get your thoughts on Game 6. What did you think? Um, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't fun in real time watching the fourth quarter. Um, I mean, it was fun when it was 96 to 90 and then it stopped becoming fun. Um, but I think, I mean, I think the Celtics were who they've been all season. You know, they are a, 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 a really solid competitive team with loads of potential that, just didn't quite have all of the ingredients that they needed to be a championship contender um, or, or a champion. I guess they were a contender, but they, they're clearly not the champion. So, you know, they're, they had a lot of immaturity, which Josh talked about, um, that manifested in those fourth quarters and the really high leverage situations when they rushed their offense and often settled for three pointers. And they, you know, they didn't have anybody that could consistently take it into the teeth of the defense and generate, you know, generate easy offense by getting uh, to the free throw line. Um, You know, so, and, and the heat kind of just outclassed them when it came to that fourth quarter, high leverage execution and grit and, and toughness. And that's, that's disappointing. But again, by game six, it really wasn't a surprise. I like I watched the game. I was like, yeah, I can't say I didn't totally see that as a as a likely outcome of that game. Like, sure, I picked Celtics in seven, and I stuck by that last episode. But um, yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't surprised. And you know, at the beginning of the playoffs or before the playoffs, the three of us were talking about what the Celtics' prognosis was on a championship. And at that time I was saying they weren't going to win. I thought it was because they were going to lose to Milwaukee and said they lost to the team that beat Milwaukee. Um, uh, I, you know, Josh, there was a point where you were kind of waxing poetic about how Tatum was at the, the star level to carry the team. And uh, I think you likened Jalen Brown to Scottie Pippen at one point. Um, oh, yeah. That happened. <laughs> Yeah, Tatum. Tatum is like Tracy McGrady for me right now. 
And and I was just saying, you know, they're not. I, I didn't feel like they were there yet, I, but I felt like they were developing and and well on on their way. And I still feel like I feel like Tatum and uh, Jalen have the potential to be your best two players on a championship team. Um, I think Jalen Brown was really impressive this whole playoff run. Um, and Tatum, you know, we've talked about the warts in his game. He's got to just be mentally tougher. He's got to be physically tougher. Uh, he's got to play through contact and generate contact and play with more force and stop settling for jump shots. Um, his playmaking got way better, which is great, but he needs to carry that through into late game situations. So there's there's still lots and lots of room for him to grow as a player, uh, which is great because he was pretty stellar all the same, uh, despite that, and he's only 22. Um, so I think it was a pretty successful season. Uh, I think the Heat were an awesome team and it'll be a, a pretty interesting finals matchup. Uh, as we also, as we said at the beginning of the series, Bam Adebayo is a problem. <laughs> He's a huge problem. He was phenomenal in game six. Um, yeah. So I, I guess that's, that's where I fall today. I can't think of a better postmortem. I mean, you said everything accurately. I feel like we should just end the podcast right now. <laughs> thanks guys we can't do that <laughs> all right mike you can go i i you know you mentioned jalen brown and uh in some ways i feel like he was the most impressive player i don't know if the, for this whole season but but certainly in the playoffs um when when i think when i watched i mean and and game six was an example of that he never stopped driving into the hoop. He never stopped playing his role. He never stopped hounding on defense. He was aggressive almost the whole time. And when you think about the difference between this year's team and last year's team, Jalen epitomizes this idea that everybody has a role and the teams that win, win because everybody is playing their role to the, the utmost. Well, just, uh, I mean, it's interesting that you characterize Jalen in that way and juxtapose it with last year's team. Because, I mean, one of the things that was so remarkable remarkable about Jalen last year was how he adapted to his bench role. Um, And after a really rough start at the beginning of last season, really started to flourish in that kind of reduced touch role and started becoming a really efficient offensive uh, uh, producer. And I, I... yeah, I mean, Jalen still got some stuff in his game he's got to work on, right? He's he still turns it over too much, especially when he's trying to, um, when he's trying to force the issue. But at least he was willing to try to force the issue. Um, he he could get better as a playmaker. He gets he he loses focus when he's the weak side defender too often and kind of gets burned on back cuts a lot or or his guy kind of rotating into a new position. Um, which is probably the biggest issue in his game. But I mean, yeah, having, I don't know, having Tatum and, and Brown at 22 and 23 is a pretty good position to be in. Yeah. I think those guys are are obviously the key to all of this. Um, I, I still think that my Scottie Pippen comparison is not far off to Jalen Brown. I think that he can be that type of a player. I think that it, it's obvious that he's, the best defensive player on the team, uh, you know, arguably with Marcus Smart, I think he's right, right up there at the same level. 
because of his physical gifts are just far superior to smart. Um, and he's the most consistent guy and Tatum, you know, he's, he has reached the level that we want him to be at. And he's, you know, I think been shoved into the number one option role on our team. And Adam, when you're talking about players fitting into their roles, you know, he fit that role this year and took us as far as he did. And, um, if he's going to be the number one option on a championship team, he's got to take it up one more level. And he's young enough so that we could see that happen. You know, remember the days of, of Al Jefferson and Gerald Green and the prospects we had back then? You know, it's way brighter future right now for our Celtics. Um, just some quotes that I want to rattle off. You know, the guys are talking about how much fun they had playing on this team. Jason Tatum, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed playing on this team. Um, a lot of guys got so much better this year and throughout the season, so much better from last season. So just to see the guys continue to grow, it's it's a lot of fun. It was fun this year. Four times he said the word fun. Um, and I think that kind of joy is is important, you know, to keep everything so fresh. It's probably one reason why a lot of players and teams overall didn't enjoy the bubble and didn't even really want to be there maybe. Um, you know, a, a lot of times when – when you make your passion your work, it's easy to lose the joy and to lose the fun. Um, this is a team that has has kept that around. Stevens talked about that, um, and and Jalen Brown said, "I think we played hard. Obviously, we feel like we underachieved, but it's no reason to hang our head. We got a good group. They're young, they're talented, um, and they're going to do nothing but improve. You know, it stings, but I'm still very proud of this group. I just think great quotes." Kemba Walker said, it's our first year together, so we're going to have some time to grow. It's going to be fun, a fun group for the next couple of years, he said. I don't want to read in too much into that couple. What do you mean only a couple of years? Uh, but, you know, I, these guys are all saying not just the right things, but it seems like genuine things about enjoying their time with this group. So I've been reading all of these same quotes, and uh, I've had a completely different reaction. It all seemed like fluff to me. And I really wanted to see more pain. I wanted to see uh, more frustration. This like, it's all positive thing. Now is not the time that you should be feeling all great and talking about how much fun you're having. You just lost. I, I feel like I wanted to see some of the aggression that we also missed seeing in their play. Well, Adam, if you spent 45 days straight in a hotel room, <laughs> you, you may... You may have a little bit of joy in, in, and relief in the end, even if the end isn't where you want it to be. You know, I, I think did. I think some of that is coming is coming from they're like ready to go home. These guys are ready to go home. Yeah, and meanwhile, it's a business trip for uh, Jimmy Butler and his family's not even there. Um, I did think about Gordon Hayward, <laughs> thinking like, oh, it'll be nice for Gordon to go home and see the baby. There's a silver lining there, you know, and, and everybody else on the team as well. So you guys talked about it, right? You, you brought it up. We got the, the two main guys on our team. Obviously, we, Marcus Smart is all of our favorite players. So that's the third guy. The fourth and the fifth guy right now, Kemba and, and our guy Gordon, I just don't know. I, I, don't know. I don't know what I really think of them. I don't know if I like them enough. I mean, Kemba's a great player. He's great for the locker room. I just don't know if I like him enough for that spot that he's in. And... Gordon Hayward, I, I definitely don't know if I like him enough. Enough he's, for what? You know, what, do you, what do you mean? I, I mean, I, I just have this like 
sinking feeling in my stomach that these two guys, you know, they didn't perform well enough throughout the year to to help Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, you know, take that next step. Um, obviously, Hayward, you know, it's he's still not really available all the time, and I just don't know if he's going to have a, a career full of injuries now. You know, it seems. It's been what two years, three years? How long has it been since he since that gruesome ankle injury? That would have been three years ago, twenty eighteen. So, and he's opting into this contract again, right? Now, have and you? I mean, I've been expecting him to opt in just because it's that much money, and he's not making that anywhere else, unless he were to get some long term contract. But who's going to want to pay him enough to offset the thirty four million next year um, with with uh, a high price tag? And of course, we don't know the economics yet of uh next year or after that for that matter but um have you actually heard reports of people saying they expect that to happen from a source related to hayward or the team no i mean it's it's been publicized i think i saw it on hoops hype you know and and it's just assumed it's the assumed reaction he's not you know if, if Gordon Hayward does not opt into this, there's some kind of mad scientist genius action going on behind the scenes like by Danny Ainge or something strange happening, you know. Um, and, you know, I've seen some stuff here and there about him, everyone expecting him that he'd opt in. You know, it's not news, no. Yeah, I mean, unless Danny Ainge trades him, I expect him to opt in. I, I, but I'm, you know, at this point... Uh, I don't think anybody on this team is going to get worse next year. I think the arrow is either pointing is either even or pointing up on every player on this team, uh, including Gordon Hayward and Kemba Walker. So, I mean, no, I I get what Josh is saying, um, and to to be honest, when we originally signed Walker, you know, I was wondering why we weren't just letting smart finally develop as our our full-time point guard i can't remember if we had started potting then and if if we had talked about that or not i remember you saying that yeah um i mean but i i like kemba but i did always wonder about having a diminutive point guard in a intense playoff series and how that was going to work on defense um because you know basically in those situations, you need to always have someone that can't be picked on, um, or you just need to surround them with elite enough defenders. Um, we kind of did that, though Gordon Hayward at his level was definitely not elite enough when we went to that small lineup uh, at the end of game six, which just got destroyed. Um, and Mike, I would add to that, you know, if, he's, if he is a shooter, then you can survive in that situation. If he's going to knock down all of his open threes. I mean, if he's if he's Steph Curry, if he's Steph Curry, then you can survive. No, in that if situation. he's Tyler Hero, if he's Tyler Hero from three, you're okay. But Tyler, Tyler Hero is a lot bigger too. No, like Tyler Hero is not a great defender right now, but he can grow into one. I know. I'm saying if Kemba Walker can shoot 38 percent from three yeah. in a playoff yeah. series, he doesn't yeah. need to be 43 percent like Steph Curry. Yeah. Yeah, so he definitely underperformed shooting, and he missed he missed a couple of really big shots, um, including one that would have put the Celtics up seven early in the fourth quarter, uh, in Game Six. Um, you know, he indicated that 
it was basically a learning experience for him getting this deep into the playoffs, which at some level is, is kind of not what you want from your veterans um, at this point in the careers of of Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown, who have now been, you know, they've been to the conference finals three times in the last four years. Um, or at least Jalen has, and, and Jason's been there two times in three years. You want somebody who you want like an Andre Iguodala that's going to be totally fearless and and knows kind of how to do it and and kind of gives the team an extra edge. And Hayward and Walker don't provide that. We tried with Kyrie, and he was just the wrong guy to do it with um, for a million reasons. But I, you know, I I do think it's legitimate to wonder about having whatever $70 million tied up in Kemba and Hayward as well, you know, looking to next season. Um, and, and where, you know, whether the bridge year that we were calling this year or that we, we will now call this year, uh, whether that bridge can really end next season or if it's going to have to extend with the current roster composition. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to go into next year, assuming that the bridge is over this team has arrived as a contender and the expectations need to be that we're shooting for a championship at this point. And I've been saying for a while that we need more veterans on this team. I've, the last During this series specifically, I've had that old quote from Sean Grandy in my head way back when uh, we had Al Jefferson before we traded for KG when he said, this team needs to get older, not younger. Uh, we need veteran leadership, the way you're describing, Mike. Um, I think the other thing that we haven't really talked about is uh, that Brad Stevens got outcoached uh, pretty obviously by um, Eric Spolstra. And I mean, Spolstra is one of the top coaches in this league, but it's, it's, um, it's a little, little bit, it's just slightly concerning. I'm not ready to fire him or anything. It's like, you know, Josh brought that up that people on Twitter are saying that it's ridiculous. But um, I do want to see Brad learn from this. I mean, we talked throughout the last two series about somewhat obvious uh, matchup decision-making, playing Shemi Ojale as much as he did instead of Grant Williams, things like that. Um, matchups in this series, uh, like putting Kemba on Jay Crowder. And if, it's obvious to us <laughs> and we're right, which at least in those two cases, I think we are. Uh, it shouldn't have taken so long for that stuff to happen. Josh, you're, I mean, as a coach, do you have thoughts on that? Well, is, is Brad Stevens the, the kind of coach who's a development coach and, and coaches underachievers really well and, and gets them to overachieve? Um, or is he is he someone who can't win the big one? I mean, he he took that Butler team farther than he should have for far too long, and you know always kind of came up short. Um, and so that's kind of like the the label that maybe he needs to climb out from underneath of, in the same way that Kemba Walker needs to climb out from underneath the label of he's a good player on a bad team, you know, from his days in Charlotte. Um, I think that to say that he got out coached, 
I just, I don't think that about watching this team play. I think the reasons why we lost, like you could go on a whole thing about, well, if, if Gordon Hayward wasn't injured and if this and if that, right. And those types of like surface level things that people, that fans will do. And, and, you know, he wins this, Brad Stevens wins this series. I don't, I don't know if this is where you're going, Josh, but I, I think, you know, one of the, the clear failures for the Celtics was an ability to execute, consistently execute their game plan. And um, the, I think there's some of that will fall on the coach, but I, I think we know, you know, and Steven said it at the press conference after game five about like, they've been basically saying for a year to take, you know, take the ball into the paint. Like some of it is, is just, you know, the mental makeup or, or um, actual skill set of the players on the roster. So some of it is roster composition as well. I think there's, there's a bit of, of blame to be shared as far as the team not being able to consistently effectively get the ball into the paint uh, in a way that that threatened the defense. And then I think credit has to go to Miami because it's really hard to do that against a defense that has Bam Adebayo and Andre Iguodala and um, Jay Crawford and Jimmy Butler. Like those are elite, elite defenders. And Jay Crawford is or Jay, Jay not a real Crowder. Yeah. Jay Crowder is a solid defender. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I give Miami all of the credit for giving for making it difficult for the Celtics to run their game plan, and and I th- that's a, sh- a shared uh, burden by uh, the players and Eric Spolstra. And and I think that what part of what good coaching is 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 being able to combat that. No, but the, leading your team in a way that they they can deliver on that. The way to combat that is to tell your players to get into the paint and stop shooting the shot selection that they were shooting. I'm sure Brad Stevens talked about that in his huddles, and guys continue to take shots like that. You know, it's like you're dealing with players who don't know how to win yet, and you got to teach them how to win, and that takes time. It's not something that happens overnight or even in a series, usually. You know, I was hoping for a miracle that it would this year, um, and it kind of did a little bit in the Toronto series. Like we really learned how to win a series and close out games in that in that series, uh, and we didn't do the same things we did that got us through that series in when it mattered in this series. And I, I think that there was like I don't see what tactically Eric Spolstra did besides staying in the zone for longer than anyone any other coach in the nation would have. Um, especially in this last game, game six, it wasn't working. Except for Nick Nurse. <laughs> no, Nick Nurse would have thrown the whole kitchen sink in there. He wouldn't have stayed consistently with anything. He would have switched it up over and over again. That's his trick. Yeah. Spolstra was just consistent the entire time. I'm not coming out of my zone, you know, unless unless it was strategic. And it, w- it wouldn't be because you're breaking the zone down. And we were, you know, but we just didn't have the players to close it out. I don't, I don't see that being on Brad Stevens. And I don't really see like what coaching things, uh, adjustments that Spolstra made, like the fact that Andre Iguodala played more minutes and, and instead of anyone else on that team off the bench in the last game was his big thing. That was his big adjustment. But it's not like Iguodala was hitting threes like that the rest of the series or the rest of the year. He was off all year. Um, you know, they talked about he was hitting... 
he was shooting for 20 minutes before the game and practicing with just that shot, and he hit that first one. That's what Mark Jackson said after that first three off the behind-the-back pass. So it was it was the players that won this game, and it was the veteran players who kind of took it from us when it mattered most. And I don't think there was much Brad Stevens could do at that point. You know, it's it's almost like you're watching it slip away, and, and from the sidelines, there's nothing you can do. I don't think like what, what adjustment should he have done? And it wasn't, you know, the, the players, I mean, I don't want to put it all on the players. I, I like, I think the players were great, but um, you know, they were, I'm sure Brad Stevens wasn't calling sets to hoist up quick threes for the last three minutes of the game. (laughs) Right. Like that game was still within reach for like a solid minute and a half or two minutes when we just only took three pointers and the announcers were saying in real time, they're like, you don't have to win this back by threes. Like you can take it in. (laughs) And there was plenty of time left. If you asked every college basketball team captain about that, they would know not to do that. You know, it's just, it's, that's not a coaching thing. That's not on Brad Stevens. Josh, I, I said what I said about Brad Stevens in a confident manner, and that's what makes it true. <laughs> well, you guys also talked about adding some veterans to this squad. I feel like there's a couple teams that we should all be monitoring around the league because if they decide to blow things up, uh, I think there's some veterans available for the Celtics in, in that regard because people are saying there's really not many veterans available this year. You know, we know about Gasol and Ibaka, but that's not exactly what we're looking for, right? We're looking for someone who's more of a, a shooter who can defend and switch and and come off the bench like an Iguodala type. Um, so the teams that I'm looking out for, and, and we'll have some future pods dissecting this a little bit, uh, Houston. I think that they have a chance for things to fall apart or for them to blow it up. I'm looking at you, San Antonio. It's only a matter of time, baby. There's a lot of useful veterans on that team, I think, who've got winning pedigree and can shoot. Um, you better not be talking about DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm looking at more of the supplemental off-the-bench stars. Although if we can trade Gordon Hayward for DeMar DeRozan, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Oh, my God. Stop it. You will regret. You will regret that take. If that if that trade ever happened, you will regret that deeply. What about Indiana? Yeah, Indiana's another one. I think Portland is another one who um, you know, it's like it's been that way for like five years in Portland where you know, that's a team that maybe they should have just <laughs> blown it up and started over again. Um and the sleeper in this category for me is the Utah Jazz. I don't know about this Gobert and Mitchell combo. Uh, I see Mitchell as being kind of like the young guy that any that that next group, that next uh, team, that up and coming team, is going to want to take for for their championship run. I think that he's he's the ne- the other young stud that's not really being talked about with all the Jamal Murray stuff going on and the Jokic stuff and the Tatum stuff. Um, Mitchell, you're saying? And yeah, Donovan Mitchell. If yeah. if the Utah Jazz end up blowing things up, or if if he chooses to do something to ask for a trade or something like that. I think, I think the whole go bear thing isn't working and it's been publicized that they haven't liked each other in the past. Um, and it's just hard to keep players in Utah. I think and with the bubble stuff, um, God, who's the Australian, the lefty, um, uh, he, who didn't yeah. show up for the bubble, you know, and, and there's just, 
Utah is just a tough climate to, to have a winning team. There's, there's no way they're trading Mitchell unless he demands it. Right, yeah. Speaking of Australians, there's really only one guy we should be targeting oh. this offseason. Patty Mills? <laughs> no, Aaron Baines. <laughs> Cedric Maxwell started talking about that on at the end of the broadcast last night. <laughs> really? Yes. As we're losing, he's talking about Aaron Baines? Yeah. He's like, yeah, it was in the post game. He's like, we really could have used Aaron Baines out there. <laughs> oh, man. He's not wrong. No, he's not, but come on. Um, Josh, you missed one team, well, two teams that might blow it up. One is Philly. They're talking about hiring Mike D'Antoni, and if that happens. I, and Doc Rivers, they already reached out to. Yep, and, and that was the other team. But uh, let me just first say, Philly's going to have some uh, pretty good players available, I'm guessing, if D'Antoni gets hired. I don't, I don't know that they keep uh, Al Horford. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's the whole the whole thing about if they can get D'Antoni, then maybe he can get Harden to come over. Oh, really? Uh, or they, or they could trade Embiid for Harden. That was on the Bill Simmons podcast. I like that one. Maybe oh, that was God. just Bill's idea. Yeah, you need to like stop. that one. You need to, you. I'm gonna give you a quota, Josh. You need to quote three other podcasts before you can repeat repeat a Bill Simmons quote. This is a no. new rule on our podcast. Okay, this is not a new rule on our podcast. <laughs> And then, of course, the Clippers blowing wait, wait, wait. things up. Ter- wait, Teron Liu. Uh, I heard that he's going to be interviewing with Philadelphia as well. Well, he's interviewing with everybody. There's rumors that he yeah. might get interviewed by his current team, the Clippers. I, I, I So, um, yeah, who knows what's happening over there <laughs> for the Clippers. They just needed a scapegoat. I'm a, I think that that was a huge mistake by the Clippers to let go of Doc Rivers. And there's a chance that all of the coaching carousal could end up waiting for the Lakers uh, to see what happens in the finals and, and Jason Kidd and his availability. What do you mean? He's available. <laughs> I think sometimes he's available, but he's, he's on the way to a championship right now. And, and there's, uh, there's some teams who would want to interview and go through that process anyway. And there's others who would respect what he's doing right now and would wait to reach out to him until afterwards. And so if he's wise, he's going to wait to until it's over to see who reaches out to him after it's over. I mean, to have the full, the full plate. You could, you could list every single assistant coach in the league and Jason Kidd would be number one on my list of assistant coaches who I think would be totally comfortable talking to another team about becoming their head coach (laughs) while they're currently in the NBA Finals, given his track record. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right about that. Yeah. But, you know, the coaching coaching carousal shows you that there's still teams out there who may go in a very different direction. You know, you bring in a new coach who's used to a certain type of team. Like, you can't just put anybody out there for a D'Antoni team. They need to be able to go. And, you know, certain coaches bring certain dilemmas with that. So... Player movement will happen. There will be some free agents, I think, that uh, surface or and uh, some some potential trades out there that obviously we don't see right now. Josh brought up this question: Is Brad Stevens a developmental coach? Can he win the big one? I couldn't tell how much of that was him being serious or just trying to stoke the fire. But Mike, I want to ask you, and then we can see what Josh thinks. Uh, now that Doc Rivers the last coach to bring the Celtics to the championship, now that he is available, would you rather, and, and of course we traded him away because he did not want to go through a rebuild. We're done with that rebuild now. Uh, if Doc wanted to come back, Mike, would you rather have Doc Rivers or Brad Stevens as the coach of the Celtics team? I would rather have Brad Stevens at this stage. Um, 
I I enjoyed Doc's tenure here quite a lot. He had some really good moments. Um, there were some really frustrating things about his coaching as well, which we may be conveniently forgetting. Um, the 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 types of the, like his like his pregame speeches or the way he totally buried rookies, even worse than what Brad is doing right now. Um, some of his rotation choices were pretty questionable. The offense was not always the most dynamic. Um, you know, he he's excellent at managing, uh, or or he at least has a track record of of seeming excellent at managing. Um, you know, star personalities. It's not actually clear based on some of the stuff coming out related to the Clippers, whether he was that successful in that. And given that the prior Clippers team also kind of fell apart in disarray, I mean, he, I guess he kept it under wraps relatively well, but um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sold on, on Brad being like a clear step forward if we for some reason decided we were moving on from Brad Stevens, which I do not think we should do. Josh? Even though I do think there's ways for him to improve. No, I would pick Brad Stevens any day of the week over Doc Rivers, you know, his especially for this team. I think I think Doc Rivers is is riding his own coattails right now of of like his pedigree with the types of players he can bring up and use examples of when he's talking to the current players and you know, he's He's a team cohesion guy who who had the Oholo Ubuntu thing that was, you know, that is is still kind of reverberating around team sports. I saw, I saw a college team recently talking about Ubuntu. I think it was University of North Dakota uh, men's basketball is is all about Ubuntu right now. You know, so it's it. But I feel like his best days are behind him a little bit, and and I really thought that he, you know this was going to be the year of Doc Rivers. I said it on this pod way back that, you know, this was going to solidify him to be in, you know, the, the, the conversation for, you know, some top 10 coaches of all time. He's, he's, I think 11th, 10th or 11th right now in all time wins. He's got one coach of the year award. He's got a championship. You know, if he wins one more championship and one more coach of the year award, he's already, you know, in wins there in the conversation, I, I think it's only a matter of time, you know, with the squad that on paper you saw him with, with the Clippers. It's, so this is a big surprise to me that they'd go in a different direction, unless it's just clear that everybody, all the players want to Ron Lou and he's already right there or something, you know? Um, so this could be an inside job pretty easily, I think for Kawhi. Um, Brad Stevens, I was, I can't tell what I think, you know, about his, his demeanor. It's just before the game, he's just not pumping anybody up. He's just matter of fact, super calm voice. And I wonder when the team comes out and, and they've got these jitters cause they're young, like, yeah, that'll help with that to calm people down. But I saw things being too calm and our, our players being too passive to start games, you know, and I feel like as a coach, it's good. You know, I understand he's trying to, to show calm, even keeled perspective so that he can uh, keep the players in that vein. But I, I mean, as a player, I don't know how you get ready for a game with a coach who's talking in such a monotone way like that. That's the first time I've heard anybody say riding 
their one's own coattails and I like it and it's now a life goal for me. Um, so I'm really interested in, in creating that for myself and I'm imagining I need to first generate coattails so that I can then ride them. Is that accurate? It's hard to ride them without them. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, maybe you guys can help me with that. Uh, my last question, um, do you blame Danny Ainge at all for the outcome of this season? Is there, is there any responsibility you put on him for the fact that the Celtics did not go further? I no, <laughs> because there was never a moment that I really thought the Celtics were supposed to win the championship this season. Um, yeah. So getting to game six of the Eastern Conference Finals seems pretty good. Um, it And I feel like people are are kind of telling themselves the Celtics were supposed to win because the Heat were the five seed. But this was like a completely anomalous season. There were no home court games played in the playoffs, um, not real ones. And this was a different Heat team than the one from the regular season. And they they acquired Crowder and... Andre Iguodala midseason, and then they had like this weird six month hiatus to all do their crazy heat workout thing, um, and kind of learn the learn the playbook and all of that stuff that you know would have been would have worked a lot different.